This message is brought to you by Deadpool. Hi, Deadpool here. I just want to give maximum effort to my favorite Kiwi podcaster, Will Fleming, from Please Blow My Mind. Thank you for blowing my pants. <coughs> I mean mine, Will. If you also want your pants blown, go ahead and rate and review Please Blow My Mind on iTunes right now. And tell them Deadpool sent you. From the bottom of my pants, spank you. Every moment, every day, every hour, every minute, we can choose who we want to be in this world. Small steps over time will radically change who you are, how you operate, how you show up in the world. And that's always within your power, man. Hey everyone, welcome to Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming. I just want to say hello and thank you to everyone who's been part of this journey to blow our minds together and to everyone who's joined the journey to blow our minds. It blows my mind that I get to create this content and that you get to listen to it and we get to do this. We get to simulate this kind of new age digital relationship, whatever that means, you know. My feeling is this digital relationship encouraged us to just show parts of ourselves and then it encouraged us to show too many parts of ourselves and we're constantly recalibrating and evolving of what it means to be a, a digital human whatever that means you know I mean we just called ourselves humans for most of history now we have this avatar and it's ourselves but it's made up of these zeros and ones and like my guest today Dr. Paul Wood my relationship with him is based mostly in the digital realm. We've recorded most of our time together and I don't know what that means but I feel like what I'm trying to express is a way to have a meaningful digital relationship. So hopefully today's an example of that. Uh, definitely am inspired by this idea that we have more bandwidth now with podcasts and this type of internet content because we are able to speak long form we are able to give people a feeling as opposed to just a structured a structured whatever that is anyways dr paul wood joins me on the podcast today google dr paul wood check out his story it includes time behind bars it includes much time helping people what i've found is dr paul wood is a human who's trying to work through the past, present, future. And it's interesting because when you're known for something, the question is, will people let you be something else? And it's very fascinating for me, this idea of who you were yesterday. Is that you tomorrow? Who are you today? Where do all these things combine? And look, I said it at the start, we're trying to have these digital relationships. So what does that mean for the digital self? Who is my yesterday's digital self? Will you let me off the hook in 10 years if you are just watching this video today in 10 years? Am I still me then? I don't know, it's like time capsule and we do time capsule each other. So this is a deep conversation about Paul's current work in psychology. Um, it's a conversation about hope. I mean, I think all of my podcasts are conversation of conversations about hope. I would like to think they are. Part of my big reasoning behind that is I'm not sure we always feel hopeful anymore. And I'm not sure why that is. I think it's a mixture of this pace we live at. Um, I think it's a mixture of us kind of 
overdoing the digital side even though I love it dearly I think it's a mixture of us maybe trading in old ideas for new ideas so I'm trying to work my way through that and there's plenty of things but at the end of the day we've got to find a way to move forward together um, so that's what the podcast is okay that's enough of me talking while driving uh, thank you for joining me on my podcast my little podcast where I'm in my studio which is a van and I cruise around and it was a total pleasure to catch up with Dr. Paul Wood. I picked him up from the airport. We went and had coffee. We podcasted together. I dropped him off at his next meeting. And he's just a real dude trying to do real things. And I feel like that's most of us. I'm pinning my bet that most of us are real people trying to do real things. Okay, team. Thank you, everybody, for blowing my mind and being part of the story. And I wish you a mind-blowing day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming. Please blow my mind. Whoa. That's the goal, brother. Get joy in your lives every day. I'm just simply looking to be 1% better every day. I get it, man. We're together on that. That is mind-blowing. We've got a work cut out for us. It's the thing that inspires me to continue on. Everything happens, and then we find a reason. You just went deep. Dr. Paul Wood, thank you for joining me in my uh, tiny little van um, in the outskirts of Monaco by the airport. I've picked you up. We've negotiated your time. You're one of the busiest people I know. How's life, brother? Fantastic. (laughs) Glorious. Especially (laughs) sitting here with this van door open looking at the rain. (laughs) How could life be better? It's, uh, you know, it's a podcast with a view. Um, uh, Our view's a little bit, you got staying coffee on the road, but... Keeping it real, Well, keeping it real. You know, we talked a little bit briefly because most of our time together has been recorded, so I try Mm. and honour that tradition, and and that's an interesting tradition. What does that mean when you record for content your relationship with somebody? I mean, it's the first time in history where these things have, uh, have eventuated, where we will spend most of our time being recorded and I'm kind of excited by that because it's a new evolution and what it ever means to have a relationship with someone you know yeah. but but you are someone who I you know we get to track you online we get to follow your story you recently had the book come out has things slowed down for you have you managed to work out I guess the question is are you able to process things in your life, even though they're going at 100 miles an hour. Look, I was talking to you about this before. There's all this stuff going on, but I'm just focused on trying to get my fridge fixed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've been without a fridge since Thursday last week. So to be honest, look, you know, you can look at all that stuff, but it's just the day-to-day realities, man. I've got young kids like yourself. Yeah. I've got a fridge that isn't working. Yeah. That's what I'm processing. That's what I'm focused on. And I think that's true. I think so much of our time is spent just living on the day-to-day tactical requirements. Mm. You know, what do we need to deliver? What do we need to get done on the day? And I don't actually think many of us spend much time stepping back and going oh actually let me process this let me think about the bigger picture yeah i think of it as a really interesting thing right like i spend a lot of my time doing leadership development yeah and a key skill within leadership 
is being able to actually take that pause and mm. not just be proceeding all the time, not just be fighting fires, not just be getting stuff done, but actually going, hang on a second here, are we on the right path? Is this the right way forward? Mm. I love this idea, eh? One of the things I love about it is it really makes me think of the realities of leadership as an adaptive challenge. Yeah. What that means is that it's not something where you can just Google the answer and get it right. You do have to be stopping, pausing, reflecting, mm. you know, getting situational awareness, figuring out what's going on. It requires learning, it requires attention, it requires problem solving. And one of the things I love about that is for me, it makes me think about the fundamentally New Zealand concept of that in terms of leadership. You know, Rugby World Cup's on at the moment. We're all aware of the silver fern as the sporting motif, right? Mm. You know, if you represent New Zealand, you get to wear the silver fern. What a lot of us don't know, and what blew my mind, yes, right, when yes. I first found this out, is that, of course, the silver fern is a leadership motif. Mm. It comes from Māori bushcraft. Mm. It comes from the practice of having someone whose job it was to be in the leadership position when Māori were trying to navigate uncharted territory, mm. when they were trying to figure out the right path from A to B. So someone would go ahead, someone would have to make best guesses based on navigational principles that would help guide them, mm. but there's no guarantees. This looks like a great path. You go around the corner, there's a cliff there, you have to backtrack. It requires learning. Mm. You can't get it right all of the time. Mm. And once they had found the right path for others to follow, they would find the green fern frond and they would turn it upside down to expose the silver underside. Right. And the silver underside of the fern would mark the path for others to follow. Right. So think about that, right? The yeah. silver fern is not just a random motif. It's about courage. It's about tenacity. It's about being brave enough to take chances, to risk failure, to learn as you go. But in terms of what we were talking about, in terms of this pausing, mm. you know, for me, that's the equivalent of climbing the occasional tree. Right. Hey, right. you're trying to find your way through. You've got to stop and climb the occasional tree and have a look around. You know, am I in the right place? What, look, what looks like the best way forward from that more strategic, more higher up perspective? And I don't mm. think we do that with our lives a lot. Why do you think we don't? I mean, I guess if I say that out loud, I think, well... Most of our time is accounted for some type of monetary value. Mm. So we go to work and that's a nine to five and you have an allocated lunch break and some pauses here and there and a few sick days. But most of the time you're trying to spend your time making money and then I guess the other time is resting. <laughs> and But it's not really a pause. When you come home there's family and there's yeah, dishes and there's say, broken fridges. Resting. Resting. <laughs> you know, I mean like I never would have imagined this before kids but for me going to work is when I have a break. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I'm home with a five-year-old and a two-year-old who are just, you know, the light of my life yeah. but also super intense and energy and mm. attention demanding. Oh, I really do think actually going to work is generally where I have more of a break and get to relax a bit more. I mean, I flew up here today. What could be more relaxing than being on a plane by yourself <laughs> <Yeah>. without kids? <laughs> that's true, that's true. Well, are we allowed to celebrate that, though? Or are we seen in the public light as, you're not hustling hard enough? Why Why? Yeah. Why would you take that time to spend by yourself, you know? I, I'm, I'm struck, though, when you're talking about the silver fern. If there is anything like that, in the digital realm I don't know I don't know what that means because the, the other thing you're kind of referencing is you're outside you're exploring you're not sure what's you what you're going to find and are we doing any of that in our lives when when do we explore maybe maybe sports maybe yeah I don't know it's 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 actually not that fun when you break it down like that because you know we also talked about talking about hope mm. and i find that quite hopeless the idea that 
sounds really fun being outside and and trying to find a path and but everything now is well i don't think everything is explained but there's this feeling that we've got this narrative on lockdown Mm. and now it's just about executing to that narrative and i'm not sure part of the reason i do this podcast is i'm not sure what my narrative is or which one i should be following you know there's a lot of strings pulling at the moment is it my identity should i be just identifying with the rarotongan side of me Mm. instead of the colonial side of me and you know my honest thing is i love both sides of me and they offer all this amazing stuff and i thought that was the goal is we would we would see each other more as like this kiwi thing as opposed to these we're starting to break it all down again into you're that group and you're this group and you can come here and you can't go there and it's a little bit confusing for me you know and I I feel like for the audience too you know we're all trying to work out where's what are we exploring exactly Mm. man there's so many threads on that I want to tap into eh? there really is Uh, a couple of things I'd say one of them is this like I think that the challenge with a, a lot of the uh, things that can distract us in modern life is they're just that they're a distraction they're a distraction mm. from life as it's actually happening yes. like if you think about the concept of for example being in the bush you know that is something that by its very nature requires you to be present you're there you're paying attention I mean like if you think of about the whole popularity of mindfulness these yes. days yes. look mindfulness isn't something someone's created it's not something <laughs> new yeah. it's just something which has become popular these days because we now inhabit a point in time mm where our lives are so artificial relative to what they used to be. Think about when we were living in an environment which is more natural for us in terms of the species we are, right? When we were members of nomadic tribes navigating our way through you know, the wilderness, when we were hunting, gathering, that lifestyle naturally lent itself to being present, yes. to paying attention to life it yes. was it was happening. Mm. You know, it's a natural state for our brains, but unfortunately we inhabit this artificial environment now yeah. which doesn't lend itself to that. Mm. And I tell you what, I discussed this with you the first time we ever caught up, but I'm going to touch back on this now because I think these are three questions to ask yourself which are fundamental guiding, navigating principles to make sure that you're on the right path in terms of trying to figure out your own way and turn that fern for yourself in mm. terms of what's meaningful for you and your life life and that is am I present you have to be asking yourself that and if you're not present if you're not here for the experience of life as it's happening then you're missing the whole thing because this is it this is it now am I present secondly am I open and that means not only am I open to other people's ideas to seeing things from other people's perspectives but also am I open about who I am and what matters to me and for my mind that leads us on to the third question, which is, am I doing what matters? Mm. And in terms of identity, in terms of plan, in terms of purpose, you know, the research is really clear on this. If you want a better life, a more satisfying life, a more meaningful life with high levels of well-being, mm. focus on living your values. And it doesn't matter what track you're taking, as long as you're living your values, as long as you're doing what's right and mm. true for you, it doesn't really matter what destination you're focused on. It's about the journey and the journey along the way providing that sense of satisfaction and meaning rather than thinking when I get to some end point, when I acquire something, when I cross something off my to-do list, that's when I'll be happy. That's when I'll find meaning. It's about the journey. Right? It really is about the journey. 
because that was one of the things I wanted to tap into. Yeah, yeah. Based on what you said there, that you know, am I present? Am I open? Am I doing what matters? But another thing I want to tap into as well relates to that being open again, being open to other people's ideas and thoughts. You know, you mentioned this tendency we have today to form this, you know, us versus them, mm. these in and out groups. I mean, again, you know, if you think of it from an evolutionary perspective, this makes perfect sense, right? right. We evolved to be members of a tribe. Yep. So in and out group, friend or foe, that's really fundamental human stuff for mm. us. Problem is, of course, is it's highly dysfunctional and reduces well-being and reduces effectiveness. It also reduces people's openness to hearing other ideas. Right. One of the biggest challenges of modern society, particularly for kids who are coming up now, is this idea that if you hear something which contradicts your view mm. or makes you uncomfortable, that you're unsafe, wow. that you're not supposed to feel discomfort around other people's views and opinions. Right. If you're not open to feeling discomfort by having your views and opinions of the world challenged, then you're not open to changing them. And life is change. Life is growth and evolution. Mm. Think about your personal evolution as a human being yeah. in terms of the identity you had for yourself at 6, at 16, at 20, at 30. Those things change. Mm. But in order to change for the better, in order for that change to be growth, yes. you have to be open to hearing you know, about the world, understanding and learning more about the world. So in psychology, we talk about two ways in which you can deal with you know, differing opinions, people who don't see the world in the same way you do. We talk about common human humanity yes. and common enemy. So common humanity is the more functional approach. This is where I go, you know what? I don't see things in the way Will sees things. Mm. Let me try and understand things from his point of view. Let me try and understand his perspective. Let me try and give him the benefit of the doubt right. and assume the best possible interpretation of what he's saying. Okay, that is the most functional way for us to try and engage with other people who have different opinions from ourselves. But, oh, that's hard work, Will. Yeah. That requires us being a bigger version of ourselves than is true for a lot of us most of the time. On the other hand, common enemy is much less labor intensive. Yes. And this is where I go, I'm going to get my need for connectedness and relatedness by finding other members of the world who see the world in the way I do, yep. and they're going to be part of my tribe, and I'm going to form an additional sense of relatedness and connectedness with them at the expense of you. You are going to become the common enemy, mm. which gives us a greater sense of connection, right? Right. And so this is what we see, common enemy versus common humanity. Yep. And you can see this play out differently on geopolitical level, right? Yep. Like, regardless of politics, think about Jacinda's response to the Christchurch situation, mm. right, to the Christchurch tragedy there. I would say that is textbook common humanity approach. Right. Let's look about this. Hold on, Paul. Sorry, we've had a bit of a... That's a, an attractive facial freeze okay, there. Okay, we're back on. We're back on. We're back on. Yeah, I think we've got, caught all of the audio, so we'll just put a, yeah, a cool. nice a nice bit. Yeah, so we're talking so about... So talking about the geopolitical reality yep. of this, how you see this play out, right? So you have certain people on the international stage, and like I say, I think Jacinda's a great example of common humanity, right? Yes. Post-Christchurch going, you know, this is not us, using all of this kind of really inclusive language, all of these inclusive symbols that made it about common humanity, as opposed to the easier knee-jerk response, which is to go common enemy, and let's look at being divisive, let's look at being exclusatory. Oh, I don't know if that's a real word. Man. It is now. It is now. Yeah. You, get the, you get what I'm trying to yeah, get out I here, do. Right? I do, I do, I do. I, um, 
there's also a lot there with what you were unpacking for us you know so I give the audience and myself just a couple seconds to, to, to think about it you know because there's a, a couple areas you're talking about being a bigger version of yourself and trying to give the benefit of the doubt I can't remember the last time I heard someone say that and I probably can't remember the last time I tried to do that I yeah. may be the other side of me the the more judgmental side the bit that uh, leans into you know my own tribal instincts uh, just quickly though when you're talking about that kind of tribe structure is that what we refer to online as this bubble how we keep ourselves within just the our echo own, chamber my man yeah, the echo yeah, yeah. chamber absolutely let me surround myself by people who see the world in the way I see the world mm. who share my views and under no circumstances should I have to hear anything which mm. differs from that or again makes me uncomfortable yeah. I mean like this idea that if you're emotionally uncomfortable then that is a threat to be avoided right. that then you're unsafe is a ridiculous notion and it's a notion that promotes fragility it's a notion that promotes anxiety and depressive related tendencies because the reality is emotional discomfort is just a standard part of life and Mm. its experience Mm. if you think that emotional discomfort is a threat to be avoided then every time you feel discomfort every time you worry you're going to worry about worrying you're going to try and avoid and withdraw and um, not engage with the situation that causes you discomfort Mm. whereas actually that discomfort is what builds your capacity to cope Mm. you know it's what builds your capacity to bounce back and recover from adversity and challenge you know life is not about feeling happy all the time life is about pursuing meaning and potential so that ties back to the silver fern because they were getting all of these feelings whilst not knowing what the outcome would be they were building resilience to the unknown if you like when they were on their mission to find 100% yeah yeah and this is something I want you to think about this is really yeah. interesting right like in, in classic clinical psychology if you came to me and you had a fear about something something that was holding you back and stopping you from having a more enriched life yeah. what would happen is we'd break that fear down into its smallest chunks its smallest component parts and then we would expose you to those in a really sort of incremental way so that you would realise actually it's not the end of the world I'm not going to die if I go up and talk to someone who I don't know Mm. if I speak in public if I do whatever it is the phobia is about and what we know from the research around this is that it's not that you would lose all of the unpleasant emotions around that activity it's that you would build your courage Mm. and your capacity to feel those emotions but make space for them and do what you need to do anyway Paul you know I said it to you before you raised your fridge circumstance that mm. we love putting people in a box, you know? So, for example, the All Blacks are like superheroes. For you, we see you constantly trying to... Uh, it's an output, you helping others. But when I think about you and I think about what you're saying, then I must assume that you're mostly like everyone else too. You know, you have your concerns. And I, I, I guess what I'm asking is, what are some... Th- do you have anything that you're currently working through that... You know, requires you to be the best version of yourself to to have some oh, courage. A hundred percent. Well, right. You know, the most important roles in my life and the most challenging for me, yeah. husband and father. Mm. I'll tell you what, that stuff where I fail to be the version of myself I would like to be on a daily basis. Yeah. Don't, don't even worry about occasionally. You know, I fail to be the version, the the aspirational version of myself as a father and a husband on a daily basis. I'm not quite considerate enough with my wife as much as I'd like to be. I don't listen to her as well as I would like. Mm. You know, think about it. You know, last night, let me give you an example, right? Last night, 
I, I, I ate all of the dinner that was left when I got back from my run, even though she had said to me, actually, I'm going to have some more of that later. <laughs> but I wasn't listening to yeah, her, right? Yeah, so yeah. I selfishly consumed it. I mean, on a daily basis, I fail to be who I want to be as a husband and a father. But that's all good because the human journey is not about perfection. Yeah. It's not about doing anything well or being good at anything. It's about getting better at stuff, my man. Right, right. And for me, when I fail, that's just an opportunity to learn and grow and come back stronger. And for me, in terms of that whole idea about getting better, how do you measure getting better? Mm. Right? I want you to think about this. You don't measure it through comparison with anyone else. You measure it based on... Who was I yesterday and who am I going to be tomorrow? Yeah. That is your only measure of progress and success. And it's one of the things I really love about the All Blacks. Like the All Blacks are driven by the pursuit of excellence. Mm. Okay. Now, the pursuit of excellence is about mastery. It's about striving towards your potential. Yeah. So you don't measure it on the basis of how you perform against others. You measure it on the basis of, can I get better? Is there opportunity to get even better than I am now? And there's always opportunity to get better. Right. I tell you this right now, no one is sitting at the top of their mountain. No one has it dialed. No one's who they want to be in all situations all the time with all people. The human journey is getting better at being who you want to be. Remember this. Your values, those are aspirational. Mm. And what that means is those are the things that you try to live up to. They're the things you try to demonstrate more deliberately and more effectively as you get better. They're not the things which are your defaults. They're not your habits, your easy go-tos when you're tired and you're hungry and you're stressed. But I think part of the challenge for us is we have such a false idea about other people's lives, eh? You know, we look at other people and we imagine their lives are so much easier. And that's because, you know, your comparison with other people is such a false comparison. It's like the duck on the water, right? Yeah. If you're the duck on the water, you're aware of all this furious activity that's going on under the surface to propel you along. You know, you're aware of all the effort you're putting in, and then you look at the other ducks and go, oh, they're just cruising. Because <laughs> you don't see under the surface with yeah. the other ducks, yeah. eh? You know, if you have a normally functioning brain, you will have struggle in your life. There will be areas of disappointment, there will be areas of challenge, and that won't be changed on the basis of your material well-being. Mm. You can get the latest car, have the biggest TV, have the most attractive, charming partner, yep. all of that stuff. You will still find things to worry about, make you miserable because mm. you're carrying around an error-detecting pattern-finding mechanism in your skull called your brain, yeah. which is geared towards the stuff that makes it feel unpleasant. One of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, and he's got lots of great ones, is, I'm an old man who's experienced many troubles in my life, most of which never happened. Mm. You know, even if things are great, you will find things to worry about in anticipation. I haven't even got a fridge yet. Should I start worrying about spilling the milk I haven't <laughs> bought yet? True. That's the way our brain works. Mm. So again, moving away from this idea that you're supposed to feel happy and content all the time and just being a bit more self-accepting that based on how my brain works, based on how the world works, I'm going to experience lots of unpleasant emotions and that's okay. Mm. I'm not going to feel happy all the time and that's okay. In fact, I tell you this right now, feeling anxious and worried and uncertain, that's often a sign that you're off the spectator seats of life, that you're in the arena, that you're pursuing your potential and you're doing something that mm. matters. It's 
so interesting because it feels the opposite when you're going through it. When you've growled your kids and you feel like you hear stories about you're going you're gonna to kind of ruin their experience because you're constantly hovering around them and it's about letting them go off and, and have some free time and I'm an I'm advocate for that. But our society is built where most parents drop their kids off, you know, or I don't know if most parents, but it feels like that's what I'm part of, you know. I know it's not good. We're having rules against no climbing trees and all these things because we now know what can happen. But I don't know if it's good for we're making people more fragile, you know, and it's even the fact that uh, Siri can tell you the directions. I now don't need to look at a map. What does that mean for my brain that, that it doesn't need that capacity to remember, you know, to, to put all these things so more fragile? But it, it feels like that's, you know, when I think of a self-driving car, I can only think of awesome things, but maybe it's not all awesome having everything automated for us. And I'm trying to think, where else do we find our challenges now? Where do we make sure we have the right balance of, you know, um, <clears throat> pushing our bodies uh, into, or pushing our minds as well, into these spaces where it can be challenging and confronting, but sometimes not knowingly. You know, that's the thing about being lost is you're triggering so many things are going off and you're finding your way back and you're getting the awesome feeling of, I don't know, I found my way, but it's mm. not actively, you know, like I'm not actively having to sit down and practice mindfulness, for example. It's not a it's not a set time in my clock. So maybe that's a bit of a call to adventure, eh? To, to have some spaces where you can recalibrate or go into the unknown. I mean... Paul, for me, this is the unknown. Mm. I haven't sat in this car park with you and there's a car pulled up and what are they thinking, but we're carrying on. There's a bunch of these things that I'm getting, but how do you offer that to others who are listening? And maybe it is just acknowledging that that all happened. You know, if we're in a TV studio, none of that stuff's a thing. We are mic'd up. We're sounded up. We're looking good. We've got makeup on. There's appropriate levels of air conditioning. All these things. But me and you, we're just a couple of dudes sitting in a van. So this is probably, I'm answering my own question. I'm actively on a journey. And the journey's good enough because I get content out of it. But I also get to hang out with you. So maybe that is what I'm really trying to say is you got to kind of find that level of adventure that's suitable for your own interests and yeah. values, eh? Yeah, and what's adventure, really? Adventure is embracing a situation where the outcome isn't guaranteed. Right. That's the definition right. of adventure. Right. Where there's some, some feeling of risk involved, yeah. some potential reward. That's the definition of adventure, right? I'll tell you something else really interesting, I think, on this concept of deliberately giving ourselves more opportunity for adventure, but also being less structured and less driven by the culture of safetyism in terms of our kids, giving mm -hmm. them an opportunity to explore and have adventure more. And that's this. Remember, we talked about this idea about being present before, yep. about paying attention to life as it's happening and how that's something which is more naturally associated with adventure, mm. you know, with being out in nature, with trying to find your way, all of that stuff in a very real sense. It's interesting, some of the work around, you know, life extension, because, you know, people all want to live longer, eh? Yeah. And one of the things they've found, of course, with these mice is calorie restriction can increase your lifespan significantly. Have you heard of this stuff? Yes, uh, briefly, but right? please go into you it. You know, so if you eat like 10% of a normal diet, so you're starving all the time, yeah. there's some research to show this will extend your life. So you'll have a longer, miserable life. <laughs> but a really interesting idea I came across recently is this 
is that the reason your life feels longer, that time is relatively longer when you're a child, remember when you were a kid, yes. how a year is forever? Yep. Is because when you're a child, you're significantly more present and attentive to the novelty you encounter in your world. Right. When you're a child, everything's new to you, so everything's an adventure. You're paying a lot more attention. You're a lot more appreciative of the leaves and the tree over yes. there, of the shape of the coffee spill on the ground. Mm. But as we become adults, we lose the sense of novelty. And so we spend more time inside our heads and not present and appreciating all of the little bits of wonder in our day. So if you want to live longer, don't aim for a longer life in terms of years. Aim for the sense of a longer life by being more present mm. to the novelty around you, by treating every day as an adventure. Mm. There are always things we can be paying more attention to and appreciating. So I think cultivating that sense of appreciation, that's not just about immediate sense of well-being. That's about giving you a longer, more meaningful life. Mm. When you talk like this, because I, I am assuming you must speak like this to people in large groups too, you know, and, and you know. Every context, right, well, right, I'm right, this right. intense, yeah, one-on-one no, 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 no. in but, groups. But when we leave these moments feeling like supercharged, what do we do with that, you know? Because it's not just about changing everything up and dumping your whole stuff in your fridge and, you know, because you're <laughs> recalibrating it with all keto stuff or whatever it is. I kind of try to find the practical things that we can all do every day. And so maybe I'm thinking for me, well, I need to find some area where I can get to that point of appreciation like you're talking mm. about. Maybe, I mean, we talked briefly when we were driving here, you go for a run. So maybe it's about going for a walk and having some time and noticing something you haven't seen before, something mm. that simple, eh? Man, small steps make big differences yeah. over time. And this is yep. what I'd say. Like, I work in this space so much with mm. people around how do I actually engage in real development? And here's the trick. For anyone who's listening who wants to have a better life, Start so small that it doesn't require any additional uh, motivation from you or additional time. In fact, what I would say, well, is find something you already do in your day and just try and be more present and appreciative during that. Mm. Don't even try and carve new space and, you know, think about this. Perhaps when I drive this van, when I leave home, for this section of the journey, this first section, I'm going to be really attentive to everything I can see, mm. everything I can hear, everything I can smell, feel. And I'm just going to think, what am I aware of right now that I actually feel some appreciation for, mm. that I feel some gratitude to be exposed to or to have in my life? Yeah. You know, what is that? Start so small that it takes no energy to get started and then just build incrementally over time. Mm. You know, one of the quotes that I love that I expound upon in my book is the whole Rome wasn't built in a day quote. Yes, yes. You know, we've all heard the, oh, Rome wasn't built in a day. You know, that part of the quote, which makes most of us think, oh, well, great, we don't need to bother about anything, <laughs> but we'll just put that off for tomorrow. But the full quote is, Rome wasn't built in a day, but bricks were laid every hour. And it's about those small steps. It's about those small tweaks right now that will take you a long way over time. When I went to change my life, I would never have even started if I had aimed on changing my life as radically as it has been changed. Right. It would have been too overwhelming to even start. I didn't have any big goal like that at all. I just focused on really small things. And then over time, you know, the momentum built. And here I am. Mm. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Hey, it's one of my favourite songs that I listen to when I'm out running. <laughs> what song? Drake. Started from the bottom, <laughs> now we're here. That's awesome. What do I listen to when I'm running? No, I listen to podcasts. It's, uh, 
Yeah, I've got a funny relationship with running. I gave myself the challenge last year to do a half marathon, mm-hmm. and I injured myself like two weeks before the. I had this thing split on my heel where you get like a little bone come out, and it kind of buggered me up mentally because I'd read this. Have you heard of David Goggins? Heard of that guy? Of course. Guy? And uh, you read his book, and how do you not want to get out running? And so that happened for me, and I was like, "Wow, there's this tinder burning, and I'm I'm building this fire, and good things starting to happen." And then, and then I had this moment where I injured myself, and for the last maybe five months, it's been like. I haven't been mentally struggling with it, but I haven't been. I didn't do my my half. Mm. I haven't been running. I'm walking every night again, trying to work out what's the right level for this ankle. Because I said, "What? Book me in for the surgery?" They're like, "Oh, there is none. That bone sometimes dissolves over time." Yeah. So that's the learning for me. Is as the giant truck passes, all part of the um, these are real life. Um, Sometimes it's like. You can't be a Goggins. You're just a will. But this and is the thing, man. This is the thing, mm. right? And this is the struggle. Because we're talking about like hope and that. We touched on that yeah, a little bit yeah. before, right? Is you need to be optimistic about life. You need to believe <laughs> that you can do things, that you can achieve things. Yeah. But that optimism has to be tempered with reality. Right. Hey. And the reality is, is we're not all Goggins. Yeah. And it's not only about who he is, perhaps what his genetics are, his mindset, mm. but also his circumstances in life. You know, all of that sort of stuff. And one of the things I would say is, like, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm training for a marathon at yeah. the moment, and I'm just incredibly fortunate that my wife is, you know, who comes from a family of marathon royalty, you know, Olympic medalist in the family and all this awesome. stuff for marathon, like, legendary, right? <laughs> and a big part of that is not the motivational component, but the sensible component, which is you don't increase your training load more than 10% a week. Mm. Otherwise, you're just asking to injure yourself. You know, that it's about the slow build and mm. the eventual outcome. Because I'm like you, man, the challenge for me is I have to contain that enthusiasm yeah. Yeah. so that I don't over stretch in terms of what's possible and what's capable. It's the same mentally, surely, right? That if you overdo it, you're going to not maybe not hurt yourself, but it won't be fun. I know. This is, yeah. You hurt yourself. That's the risk. Yeah. So when you think about this, right, like it's less tangible, but a psychological, intellectual, emotional injury, like say depression, burnout, and that sort of stuff, it, that's an injury. Mm-hmm. It's just less visible. Yeah. And in many respects, it's very comparable. I tell you this right now, I've worked with a lot of people who have burnt themselves out in life, who have ended up in really low places, not because they lack mental toughness or resilience, but because they're not good at paying attention to the indicators they need to slow down, they need to reduce their load, and they need to engage in recovery. Mm. We need to think about this. A lot of us treat our self-care as if it's some kind of luxury. Self-care is a discipline, not a luxury. In the same way that if you were training for a physical event, your recovery is when you grow. It's when your capacity increases. If you're not recovering properly, if you're overtraining, you're going to injure yourself, you're going to do yourself damage. It's the same from a psychological perspective. If we're putting ourselves under appropriate pressure and then giving ourselves a recovery time, we will come back even fitter and stronger emotionally and psychologically, more mentally tough and more resilient. But if we don't treat our self-care like a discipline, then the wheels will come off. Mm. It's just a matter of where and when for who. Again, it's not a sign of weakness. The challenge is, is often sort of different for the different genders. 
Women are often engaged in, uh, often reluctant to engage in self-care and recovery and put themselves first to look after themselves because they often feel guilty about it. Right. Because women are often socialised to think that they need to put everyone else first. Now, I'm making broad generalisations, but the generalisations hold true in general. Yes. There's always exceptions, yes, right? Yes, yes, Men, on the other hand, are more reluctant and less likely to engage in recovery and treat their self-care like a discipline because they often perceive that as a sign of weakness. Right. If I'm really mentally tough and resilient, I shouldn't need any of that stuff. Mm. I shouldn't be touched by the stress and pressure. But the reality is, is that mental toughness and resilience are comparable to physical fitness, right? Think about this. I'm a layperson, eh? I'm not an expert. My wife's an expert in this area. She would correct me for sure. But... When I think of physical fitness, I think of your capacity to cope with physical demands and then ability to recover afterwards. So the fitter you are, the more the demands are that you can cope with for longer before you get fatigued and then the quicker you recover. Yeah. Okay? So it's exactly the same emotionally. Mental toughness is about your capacity to cope with the demands in the heat of the moment. Resilience is about your ability to bounce back afterwards. Now, it doesn't matter how mentally tough and resilient you are, like it doesn't matter how physically fit you are, there will be a point where you hit fatigue, mm. where you need to recover. It's just going to be at different places for different people. But also, just because you're mentally tough and resilient doesn't mean that stress doesn't touch you. In the same way that if you're super physically fit, it doesn't mean that you know you click your heels through the marathon. It just means you can cope with the misery for longer mm. before it derails you. <laughs> if you're mentally tough and resilient, you feel the struggle. You feel the stress, but you can cope with it more effectively and bounce back from it more quickly. Gotcha. And that's a really important idea because, again, a lot of the time people think, well, if I'm resilient and mentally tough, it shouldn't touch me. Yeah. That's a load of rubbish. Um, I know I shouldn't say it because, well, there's a couple of things, but it's fucking awesome to have you talking like this. I know I get pen punished on the algorithms for swearing and all that stuff but that's how important it is for me to talk because I think we all think like this but very few people say it out loud and you're one of those people who says that stuff out loud and I don't know how much we're going to have to rely on this going forward in time but we've all got these awesome epic ideas in our heads and also the crazy ones as well but saying it and acknowledging it, you know, and that's the bit I take from the Pacific and Maori cultures. It's always mm. about acknowledging where we came from. And I also think it's acknowledging, you know, out loud where we're going. Um, we have to go because I've got to get you to your next thing. The final thing I just want to ask you, though, your book um, is about your story. Mm. Is about... Um, can I say like uh, that there was a way for you to change who you were then to who you are now because one of the things I wonder if you think about yourself as the same person or like a, a butterfly mm. that shed a skin and was able to um, transform that's a very interesting thing we have in culture today you know you can are you who you are always or can you change like redemption is something I think real life societies worked out you do something you pay for it then you get a chance but I I don't see it online it's mm. like once you do something wrong you say the wrong word that's you online you're blocked forever and I don't know what the ramifications of that are so I guess the first thing is do you are you the, do you think of yourself as Paul always or just that Paul and this Paul 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like for me, you know, my period of imprisonment seems like a different life, like a different mm. person. Mm. And yet, you know, I can certainly remember it. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. think you have a capacity to change, yep. you know, not just in general, but on a moment by moment basis. You know, like I'm not a religious person myself, yep. but I love the Buddhist concept of reincarnation. And I remember I always used to think that that was just about having different literal lives as different people. Then I remember reading about this idea where actually it's more like a flame on a candle where there's the appearance of continuity if you're looking at the same flame on a candle but actually microsecond by microsecond that is a new different flame Mm. every moment every day every hour every minute we can choose who we want to be in this world and we just need to be more deliberate and conscious about it until it becomes more of a habit for us who you are now the attributes the way you see the world Mm. that's no more real for you than anything else the only difference is that stuff has become habitual so it's just your autopilot your go-to now Mm. small steps over time will radically change who you are how you operate how you show up in the world and that's always within your power man I love it I love it thank you man I won't ask you what blows your mind because I feel like you're someone who's always trying to tinker at the small things no let me answer okay me okay, okay Paul I ask every okay, guest at the out, end, right? um, what, what's one moment that blew your mind that okay. changed your perspective let me, let me just build on what we were talking about for this <laughs> yes. capacity for change okay okay and I want to talk about it from a, a neurological perspective our capacity to change our brain which yeah. is the fundamental seat of how we behave and everything else around us right if you want to really blow your mind and i know i am prone to hyperbole <laughs> i accept that and i accept you might be sitting there thinking this guy exaggerates i do <laughs> but not on this occasion literally blow your mind when it comes to the brain's capacity to adapt itself and it change itself based on what you do with it google blind people riding bicycles and you will see blind people who have learned to use echolocation by making clicking sounds with their tongue like a bat or a dolphin Mm. to navigate their environment. That is not what we as a species are set up to do but your brain's ability to change and remould itself is so radical that that's the sort of thing that can happen if you only sink the time and the effort into it. You can be whoever you want to be. And life isn't about finding yourself, it's about creating yourself. Awesome. Dr. Paul Wood, thank you for blowing our minds. Thank you for entertaining this crazy idea of coming and chatting with me over the years. You know, it's like, it's. I mean, podcast is mainstream now, but the first time you did it, you rolled up to this office, we were sitting down talking and there was no questions, and you were into it. You were just keen to live in the moment. And and, and I think it's, um, I think that, I won't say it's like the blind people riding a bike, but it certainly is something. We're expressing something in the digital realm, some type of level of honesty vulnerability maybe so appreciate the hard work you do for me and all the rest of the people out there and good luck with your fridge man that's the pristine priority (laughs) right that's us let's get you to the meeting awesome